Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the banking chaos over the last week and what that variable is doing to bond yields and mortgage rates. First, here's a word from our sponsor. I'm Diego Sanchez, Chief Operating Officer of HW Media, and I'm here today with Melinda Wilner, who is the Chief Operating Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Melinda, so good to chat with you today. Great to chat with you as well. Thanks for having me. From your perspective, what role does technology play in creating top-notch customer experiences? Yeah, great question. Technology plays a huge role in it. Um, At UWM, we are always searching for the best technology for the borrower and for the broker both. So I think from a borrower perspective, things have changed a lot. I've been doing this uh, for over 20 some years. And I think back to my early days, there was a lot of in-person stuff. There was fax machines. There was early stuff. There's a lot of people dropping off documents. Like how cool is it now that you can take a picture of a document with your phone and upload it? Like e-signing your initial disclosures. How great is that? I don't have to go see anybody. Virtual closings. Amazing. Like I don't even have to have anybody over my house anymore if I don't want to. So I think technology has given a lot of people in this very fast moving world, some options that make it very convenient for them and very kind of the coolness factor too. Like, oh my gosh, I just closed a refinance all over some Zoom equivalent virtual thing. That's really cool to to be able to pass on. Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you again for having me. Appreciate it. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Things are crazy. It's been a wild few days uh, since we talked last Friday. You know, we kind of joked, hey, listen, uh, this is Friday morning by Monday, a lot of things can change and it's Wednesday morning and things are getting even crazier out there, especially in the bond market land. Okay. Let, you know, just take it from the top because I don't even know where to start. So the last podcast, we talked about jobs Friday and then, you know, the uh, bond yields were falling back then. And then we, we would have to wait to see the resolution of the uh, Silicon Valley bank fiasco. And uh, what's that hap- what happened was an emergency uh, of a lending facility and this basically insuring all deposits around the country uh, to try to make sure that there isn't a bank run. And again, uh, uh, if people remember, of course, nobody's going to remember. I'm such a nerd that I will. Uh, in 1991, Chairman Powell actually wrote about how, you know, in bank runs, you've got to get early and you're the government, you could do a lot of things and you just can't let it get out of hand. So uh, running off the Powell playbook and and what Yellen would do, uh, they're they're making sure that there's no more bank runs. But in itself, think about the bingo card for 2023, a national banking crisis, right? And I, I would say this, one of the things I've talked to my market friends uh, Bullard, who is probably one of the more hawkish Federal Reserve members, many, many months ago, um, and I don't know if people remember this, he he even talked about, I'm curious to see what all these rate hikes and quantitative tightening, you know, the Fed's balance sheets coming down to, and these are great, what, what they would do to the market. And it's the, the running joke is the Fed will keep hiking rates until they break. Why, Sarah? They're old and slow, Logan. Old and slow. So- 
something broke where you now had to do an emergency program. So now where are we at? That's the thing. I mean, what 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 what, what do we think about the bond market or the ten year yield? The ten year yield now um, went all the way down to three point four two intraday. It's 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 bouncing off three point four two right now today. I think for the, some of you people that are sending me my Gandalf videos, yeah, that line in the sand. But the short term, the two year yield uh, has just collapsed. So we had this joke about uh, um, you know. The 6% Fed funds rate that was born on Monday, March 6th, and then got ill, died, buried on Sunday. So I think that's the more aggressive Federal Reserve rate hike takes probably are going to take a step backward now. And the two-year yield, so some of you in the mortgage industry or real estate industry, keep an eye on that two-year yield. That, you know, uh, uh, if it's a short-term issue and things are going to bounce right back up there, but if you're thinking of rate hikes and when the Fed might start to get more accommodative or the pivot, you want to keep an eye on the two-year yield right now because the two-year yield is basically telling the Fed it not it needs to do emergency rate cuts uh, uh, at this point. But again, a lot of this is the, the market's very crazy right now. So short term, you're going to get extremely wild moves in the bond market. We'll see how, how this uh, looks two weeks from now. But this week, we're, we're going to have to take in our banking crisis overseas with credit issue. Um, those things, we, we short term, things could get very uh, violent. But eventually in time, something comes back to normal. But we we, we need to see if the Federal Reserve actually admits they finally broke something. They're in a quiet period right now, so you're probably not going to get too much talking points. But it's not that far from the next uh, next time they are going to hike rates or pause or wh- whatever they do. You'll get more of a explanation from them at that point. So, with everything going on with bonds, where are mortgage rates today? It's Wednesday. Where are mortgage rates? You know, more. I mean, I haven't seen the pricing sheet this morning, but. Uh, uh, we got back down to six point five seven percent when the ten year yield got here. So we'll see how this how this uh, plays out. But I just want to remind everyone because this has been a t- big talking point of mine during the COVID nineteen recovery. If Freddie and Fannie were publicly traded companies today, their stock prices would be collapsing, and then people would say, "But what about? Uh, 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 do they need to raise capital?" And the market in itself would have tightened credit. So everyone in the mortgage industry and in the real estate industry, you are lucky that Freddie and Fannie are not in cons- are, are in conservatorship and they're not publicly traded companies, because you know they talked about well we need to raise two hundred billion dollars and that'll shore up. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how much capital you have. If the market breaks on you, okay, it's going to force what we saw happen to Silicon Valley Bank. And I think that the for me, just the, the like the historian in me thinks. Whenever you get a lot of deposits into a bank, it's usually not a good thing. And I joked about, you know, I I, I tweeted out a, a a video of Scarface when Al Pacino was talking to his banker, and the, the 1980s Miami banks were getting all this drug money in, and they were like, "Whoa, we're getting a lot of deposits. That's not a good thing." And then in 2008, you know. Iceland, Greenland, you know, one, one, one of those countries, they got um, a lot of uh, uh, money into the banks because they were doing, uh, Iceland was doing a lot of hot yields. They were, they were saying, hey, come here, we'll give you X amount. So they got a lot of depositories. And usually when that occurs, it's not a good thing, 
right? So it, in this, with the Silicon Valley Bank, they got a lot of deposits or deposit bases is grown up. So nobody, nobody's ever really ready for a bank run. That's why the Federal Reserve went straight nuclear option to, to, to stop this down because you can't let bank runs start to get on other banks and then you, you start to you know, lose your banking system. So we had an authentic national banking crisis. We had the UK pension funds almost go out last year. We had you know, the Bank of Japan do interventions, the IMF saying the Fed is right, and now it's hit our shore. So ball is on the Federal Reserve's court now. And I still haven't heard from President of the San Francisco Fed, Mary C. Daly. It was on her watch that this happened. And uh, there's a lot of explanation that needs to happen. And we'll see how the Fed looks at this because the Fed, in theory, is still fighting inflation. Uh, and um, they're running into a tougher time with their dual mandate. But I would argue that they have been always in a single mandate for, for a while now. So we'll see what how they react to this, but it's going to be very interesting, their language now uh, going out. Because in theory, if they've solved this issue and you don't have any effects, and by the way, when one shoe falls, usually, you know, others will, um, you know, they would say, we're still going to be very tight or we're going to be talk aggressive. I don't know how much aggressive they can talk now. Because in the past, they would say, I, I don't know why the bond market is pricing rate cuts. I don't know why the bond market's pricing rate cuts. You know, we're, we're, we're really tough. We're, now you had a national banking crisis. So does that change their arguments? Because in the past, what would happen today is that Neil Kashkari or one of the Fed members would come on TV and go, we're serious, man. We're still, we're, we're not cutting rates or we're not doing anything. Do they do this in this environment when underneath their noses, we had a national banking crisis? So hopefully someone loses their job. Because my thing is, I, I, I'm always mindful of people who can't bleed because they feel so immortal that they don't take their jobs seriously or they're not fearing anything, right? Why are the gods jealous of us humans? Because we're mortal, right? We take risks. They can't. They'll never understand that feeling. I'm always very mindful of people who do not fear losing their jobs because they're protected. So uh, they're going to do an investigation by the Federal Reserve. They're going to say, oh, we're going to need more humility now because something – no, somebody loses their job. And the president of the San Francisco Fed, that's under her watch. Anybody else would have lost her job. So if you do it this way, then you realize you can bleed. You can, we're, you're like all of us, all of us that you say we want more pain, right? We need more pain in the labor market. We need – let's throw that pain right back at you. Okay. That was on your watch, President Daly. That's your bank, right? So when you had to, oh, we can't let these bank depositors go under or anything that could come, you folded. Like I knew, like we always talked about here, when it comes down to it, they will fold. They folded then. So let's see if there's a little bit of change of dialogue first, or are they going to go back to, okay, we fixed this problem, but still we're just going to keep on focusing on more pain in the labor market, and that's what our job is. Oh, I, I can't wait for the next Fed meeting. I cannot wait for that. 
I, I really think that they would <laughs> they would run into quite a bit of criticism. It had to be a humbling time this weekend to see what happened, and it wasn't the only bank, right? And so it's hard to imagine that they could come back with any sort of aggressive talk. And you've you've laid out different tracks of what they're looking at, and the labor market has been one of the big ones. But this came out of nowhere, at least to us. And so, I mean, this is definitely an X factor that we didn't see. So my issue with the Federal Reserve is that I assumed, and I'm not a Fed pivot person. You could go back to my work last year. You know, I I I I, I realized that they're going. We're going to just front load all the rate hikes, and we're going to get to a certain place and stop. The whole October 27th article about you know, hey, the case for mortgage rates to fall. You know, the the 310 inversion, the Fed's own main recessionary indicator uh, flag. That was back then. It's got it's got a lot worse now. But for some reason, just the last few weeks, and, and we, we've talked about this in the podcast, whenever you get good economic data, you have to not freak out. You know, you're just like, oh, uh, retail sales were up. Retail sales were down today, but they were up last month. That's bad. That's bad. You have to endure because you're starting to get to a level where your own premise last year is you're, you're throwing that out. So what happened? You had a national banking crisis. If you couldn't have solved this, the country would have been in a crisis mode. That's on your watch. Somebody has to lose their job of this, right? Or else you're just sitting there thinking, I'm not afraid. I can fail and it'll be okay. So um, that's, that, that's that been the frustrating part for me in the last, uh, I would say, six to seven weeks. For some reason, something changed their mind. And and listen, I, I may the labor market is fine. Job openings are high, jobless claims. We're not gonna we're not gonna pivot until jobless claims uh, gets to three hundred twenty three thousand. Pre national banking crisis, right? So, uh, I I thought they had a plan and they went with it, and then they did what they usually do: they overplay their hand, and then they go out on TV and they say, "Oh, you better watch out, man. We could still rate hikes. We don't. The bond market is wrong. We're not." And right in front of their faces, the two year yield collapsed. I mean, it's under 4% now. So um, that's the frustration part on me. And I've stayed consistent with my take on the Federal Reserve. If they really wanted people to think they're going to go higher, they need to raise their six, three, six, 12 month uh, core PCE forecast and just say, we want to be restrictive there. Okay. We want a recession. That's what we're, we're trained here to do burn the labor market to bring inflation down. But they didn't do that. Now we're just in this hot mess right now um, with the with the markets. And eventually it'll cool us up down. But man, talk about a wake-up call. Born on Monday, buried on Sunday. Great, great uh poem you've been sharing there. Okay, so let's talk about the inflation data that came out yesterday, uh, on Tuesday, CPI data. And you wrote a, an article for Housing Wire that talked about like which pressure is going to determine mortgage rates. That was before this morning when things happened, but you were talking about like the inflationary pressures and then the recessionary pressure. pressure. So tell us, tell us what the battle is there. So I've always said the 1970s is not here. Take your disco pants or whatever shirt you had back then and put them in the closet. You don't need to bring them out. Uh, if you look at core inflation, uh, uh, I mean, the Fed looks at PCE inflation, not CPI. But if you look at core CPI, it's still it's slowly moving down and it's being inflated by rent inflation. 
right? I mean, that's the Fed realizes this themselves. They they focus just on service inflation, uh, uh, airline travel. I mean, the biggest inflationary data in the report is uh, airline travel because the service sector is now coming back while the goods inflation is falling. So we get those kind of inflation data, and the growth rate is slowing. Right. So the argument I've had is that you wait 12 months, like we've talked about here, think 12 months out. And we started that in October, November uh, and September when I went on CNBC and talked about that on inflation day. Think 12 months out. Where are we headed? If you are a 1970s blowout inflation, boy, rent inflation is going to take off. Right. Housing inflation is going to take off. And and we just don't have that kind of marketplace. And back in 1974, when the recession happened, multifamily construction collapsed. Here, we've got still a near a million under construction. So different marketplace, so adjust to that reality. And and um, even though the month-to-month service inflation is hotter, especially in airline travel, and pets as well, pet care, um, it's it's not the 70s. So you're going to have to endure. That's why I've always talked about endure. You're going to, the original plan I thought was acceptable. Front load the rate hikes, pray nothing breaks, and just pause and wait. They were talking about, and then they changed everything for some reason. Um, this is why I'm not a fan of President Daly and some of the comments she's made about the labor market. So on one part, they say, nobody wants to work. We have the labor market. Diamond. Listen, I'm job openings, 10 million guy. And then we have these really big job reports too. So they're obviously labor there. And that's why the if, if you really want to understand my labor force economic model, the jobs report that I wrote uh, last Friday, it shows we have 166 million people in the civilian labor force. We're still in makeup demand. So jobs happening is good. It's not a bad thing, right? And it's also confusing because you say there's no, nobody, we have nobody that wants to work. And then we still put these big jobs support. These are good things for the United States of America and its economy. Uh, um, so I, I think somewhere along the line from like, January to to March, the Fed completely lost it. They, I, they were just, they're way too confusing. And now we see this chaos. And hopefully they can have a little bit more of a balanced approach or talk to each other on, on, on try to communicate with the markets because this is chaos, right? I love chaos, but they, they need to come together and think about a, a coordinated talking point and not be so wishy-washy because it looks really bad right now that we have to do an emergency uh, federal uh, program to save the banks. And uh, apparently everything was fine. The credit market was fine. So frustrating, right? Just frustrating. You're, you're going to have to endure on the inflation and give it time. And, and, and you don't, you don't need a job loss recession for this one. This is a global pandemic. The 21st century inflation data was very tame. Even during the housing bubble years when we had massive credit sales, the inflation rate, growth rate was really where they are. We don't have that kind of marketplace. It's a global pandemic. Over time, the supply should get better. If it can't get better, you crushing demand is not the most effective way to deal with inflation. And uh, um, I mean, a better way would just be uh, raise taxes if you really want, if inflation was your problem, you raise taxes or you force people to pay their student loan debts where you take money out of the system, out of circulation. But this this way, this heads down approach, there's a risk to that. So we're in the middle of this and we'll take it one day at a time.
We're looking at different inflation factors, but let's talk about recession for a minute. So last summer, so in June, we you called it housing's in a recession for all those reasons. You raised your six recession red flags for the overall economy. Um, it's been months now. So where, you know, what is, how does a bank run fit into that or does it, is that just a, a completely different X factor? So this is a big time variable factor put in here. Um, of course, if we didn't have this event, the Fed would be still talking aggressive and rate hikes and nothing is wrong. So we have to incorporate this variable like COVID, like everything else that we've, we've, we've done here at Housing Wire. For me, it's always been, we are at the, the last time I had my six recession red flags all up was late 2006. The recession didn't happen to 2008. Credit was deteriorating in 2006 too. So there could be a lag period. We want to look at jobless claims. We want to talk, look at credit now. Credit is getting tighter. Uh, the banks are going to get tighter. The lending facilities are going to get tighter. The housing market is not going to have like credit getting tight like it did for, you know, from 2005 to 2008. But the banks are, are going to rein it in. Uh, and then credit growth. If you don't have credit growth, the economy doesn't move. So that's something that now with this variable in play, uh, on top of all the credit is getting tighter, we look at that. We look at deterioration on uh, uh, delinquency, stuff like that at this point to when does it filter to the jobless claims? And again, the whole Fed pivot was based on jobless claims getting toward three point uh, 323,000. However, the bond market would get ahead of that. That was always the talking point. The bond market will get ahead of the Fed. Why? The bond market ain't old and slow. Not at all, right? They will get ahead of the Fed. Now, I would argue that a lot of the action in the bond market, so many hedge funds and Wall Street people were short the 10-year yield going into last week, and now they're running around covering and buying bonds. So the, take this volatility with somewhat with a grain of salt, but the bond market is, oh my God, the bond market is like a year ahead of the Fed right now. Right, so the bond market won't wait for the Federal Reserve. The ten-year yield has twice now tried to go lower ahead of the Fed. The Fed has been able to say, "Hey, listen, we're not going to do this economies because jobless claims right now claims 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 is still low." But when jobless claims start to rise, and I, something I've talked about, uh, especially on Twitter, do you think the ten-year yield and mortgage rates would rise in that environment? Because that's the 1974, 75 recession, the uh, early 80s recession. That's that premise. I get that. But it's the bond market has showed us now three times since last year that it will get ahead of the Fed because why? The bond market is not old and slow. Oh my God. It is like the flash compared to a turtle, right? Boom. It's going to get ahead and, and it's getting ahead now. Some of it, I think it's uh, the hedge funds got uh, overshort the market, but we want to read the 10-year yield, two-year yield, two-year yields. Everybody in the mortgage industry focus on the two-year yield as well. Uh, because if that keeps on going lower and lower, that's the bond market telling the Fed cut rates, right? I don't think the Fed's going to listen to him, but that's the that's where the two year yield is saying no. Whoever you know put something in your eggnog in Christmas week uh, or talking tough, you had a good plan. You should have just stuck to the original plan, and you didn't. And now we're here and dealing with that. Now we're here and dealing with that. Well, um, let's pivot a little bit ourselves and talk about because we had the tracker this week showed something if we're just looking, you know, narrowing in on housing inventory, inventory, I cannot believe we are still talking about low inventory. What did, what did we see this week in the in the numbers? Before I address this uh, topic, I just want to let all my friends on Twitter that kept on telling me that people will rush to the market and sell. That when investor demand will collapse, people will rush and sell. 
I do the Pulp Fiction Samuel L. Jackson character where he puts the gun to the head and say, say what again? Say panic sellers again. Say it. New listings data this week, all-time lows. Last week on a year-over-year basis, there wasn't much of a difference on the new listing side, not taking the immediate sales. But uh, this week, all-time lows. Total active listings still falling. Again, that's part of the Part of the tracker is to teach people how to read purchase application data correct. And again, uh, I, I did a whole little mini dissert, dissertation today on Twitter on uh, since November 9th now, uh, purchase application data today was positive. Last week was positive. Think 30 to 90 days out. When we get these demand runs late in the year, it peels off some of the inventory because remember, you you fill out a mortgage application. You don't buy a house that day. It takes time. So it's 30 to 90 days goes into the system. Total active listings is still falling. We're in March. That's not normal. What usually happens is people, you know, January is really the core bottom, and then we rise into the spring and summer all the time in the weekly data. That's not happening. This is the third year. This is not happening. But the new listings data is so much lower than it was in 2016, 17, and 18, and total active listings higher than last year, still near all-time lows. You adjust it to population, especially percentage of households, all-time lows. So again, we had COVID, we had forbearance, we had the biggest collapse in sales in one year. We have 7% mortgage rates. Homeowners, structurally speaking, if you look at credit channels and how their balance sheets work, are in a really good spot. Because you're a soft person and run to the hills whenever you know anything happens, it doesn't mean the United States of America and its people are. So you have to objectively take yourself out of the equation and look at the data and what the data has always shown back for 10 years. This is the 2018 premise. Back in 2018, mortgage rates got to 5%. People were screaming, oh, this is the housing bubble crash, 2.0, yeah, yeah. Literally, inventory didn't even grow that year. So it's an inherent weakness that we see in the hearts of men that keep on thinking that um, homeowners would purposely do something detrimental to their finances. And again, with with inflation, the best hedge in America has always been your 30-year mortgage. So these homeowners are doing really good. And for some reason, that doesn't get across, but it's over, right? We've had three years of historical data with three different variables. And this week, Tracker showed new listings data is not only at an all-time low, it is a noticeable gap between uh, the last two years and really a big difference from what we saw pre-COVID. So you have to be a little bit more patient with inventory. And remember, it's an easy concept. A traditional seller is a traditional buyer most of the time, right? Of course, there's investors and other reasons why people sell. But if you look at it in that construct, you could understand how inventory channels have worked since 1982. Most people I've realized have never looked at the inventory data going back to 1982. So it's confusing to them because they've listened to these YouTubers and Twitter people who, again, I'm all here 24-7, all day, baby. You want to challenge me, challenge me live on air. But uh, this this way, you could actually see, we, we, have to, we have to make people understand why is this happening, right? And uh, again, this last week, we're going into spring. It's March. Total active listing falling makes sense, but the new listings data, and that's a total housing cost. Remember, we have the biggest inflationary uh, event in history. Home prices accelerated beyond norm. Mortgage rates accelerated beyond norm. You put those together, literally some people cannot afford to move 
So don't put them into the mortgage rate lockdown. I got a 3% rate. I'm not moving. You're not, you weren't moving anyway. And you weren't, you can't qualify for a loan. So there's a different variable into this question that we have to get people into this talking point. And then we go back to the year 2000. I'm telling you, Sarah, you got to give me a chalkboard and a chalk. I can do this whole dissertation on how these channels work. Um, but uh, again, another, another, another test. And, we, and this is what it shows. Homeowners are in a good spot. Um, I know a lot of people put the whole investor when investor demand collapses, rush to the market. That didn't happen either. So you be a little bit more patient. Let the data come to you on the inventory side. Don't force the data to create a false narrative for whatever attention you're getting. And and we had two uh, housing reports uh, today, Wednesday morning, the builder's confidence and purchase application data. 7% week-to-week growth. That's back-to-back weeks of positive growth. And remember, we are working from an all-time low. So we're going to bring it back to November 9th, right? November 9th. Uh, was when purchase application data started to make its its positive run. Mortgage rates, 7.37% went all the way down to 5.99%. We had about 12 weeks of positive data. Rates then spiked from 5.99% to over 7%. We had four weeks of negative data, bringing the entire index to the lows of 1995, which Gangster Paradise was the number one song back then. Then I said, remember, we, we have we have a very low bar. We have to be mindful of this. So when you get positive data, take it in context. So back to back weeks of seven uh, percent or seven seven percent week to week growth on two weeks now. So the uh, the volume is rising now from a low level. Uh, context is critical, but this shows you if mortgage rates could get below five point seven five. The reason I use five point seven that's not part of the forecast until the economy breaks or something else breaks. You get you get underneath there and you get it with duration. The whole housing bubble crash thing, whatever, whatever, whatever they were, goes out the door in that context where a bubble crash means massive supply increase, you know, uh, home prices falling, foreclosures, something like that. Not even those people can actually hide behind it anymore. Builders' confidence up again. Things that you don't see during a housing bubble crash year is like four months of forward-looking positive data in, in the builders, right? New home sales beat last time. Remember, very low bar. Builders are efficient sellers, right? They'll they'll cut prices. They'll put rates down. They have a lot less competition. We wrote that article uh, uh, recently this year about the builders are lucky because back in 2007, if you're doing the Housing Bubble Boy Act, we had over 4 million active listings with a declining demand with credit getting tighter in relationship to the demand rise back in 2002 to 2005. Not the case now. So here they are. They're moving product. They're pushing down rates for their buyers. They're uh, cutting prices when they need to, and they move product because they sell their house as a commodity. So everyone's like, why are the builder stocks doing good? What? Wow, new home sales is up. Cancellation rates are falling, right? So remember this in this context uh, I was like, yesterday I got to do my whole like teacher act. All the people that say there are more homes under construction per capita, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 68,000 new homes for sale in a country of 330 million. That's not how the builder's business model works, right? We created the fight club rules last year, right? Why do we fight club crews? And number one, we don't talk about fight club. We never, ever, ever talk about the existing home sales supply market with the new home sales data. Right, it, it all you had to do is read one new home new home sales report in the last fifteen years to realize that the builders don't flood the market with massive inventory. The, we didn't even get to two hundred thousand active listings for sale, even in the housing crash year. So this notion of millions of homes coming to the market, come on. 
So here, builders' confidence is up because rates are lower, they can move product. That's it. It also was working from a waterfall dive in demand, right? So we never had a massive credit or sales boom or a production boom. So we're we're dealing with different economic variables, and it finally caught people. You actually have to read housing data to understand this. You can't just throw up a few charts out there and people say monthly supply of new homes is is back to the housing bubble inventory skyrocketing no it isn't read the active listings i don't read i know you don't read trust me you never have to convince me about that so um again we know our our listeners are also readers they can hear great information on these podcasts but they can also look at the housing market tracker every week they can look at your articles sarah this is why we created the tracker article because things are just too hectic and we have to get people in line with the data and realize listen this is post 2020 you think this is easy you think all this stuff, trying to take all these wild variables is easy? No. So we have to look at data itself on a weekly, on a daily, on an hour basis and incorporate crazy things that are happening. And a national banking crisis, you know, needing a national emergency uh, weekend meetings is a new variable. And uh, we have to just take a deep breath and realize, let's see what the after facts is. And then if things calm down, then we could go into uh, another stage. But as, as of right now, it's just very hectic. And the two-year yield is just showing this. I mean, that, it is historic what the two-year yield is doing. I think the last time we saw a collapse like this was back in 1987. And 1987 had a bad event. So um, it is what it is. We take it one day at a time, one week at a time. That's why the housing tracker is created. And uh, uh, that's why we always talk about the bond market in, on, in, in a lot of ways. Logan, as always, thank you for joining us and giving us insight on all these things as they're happening. Appreciate it. And we will talk to you again soon. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.